Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors. Take a walk, make a podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you first. What's astonishing you? This is easy today. Very easy. We held, we, Dorita Church, um, in partnership with an organization called the Champion House of Care, which ministers to the homeless population in our neighborhood and uh, adults with uh, disabilities, uh, special needs adults in our community. And we held a fall festival on our campus on Saturday and astonished that we had 270 people from the neighborhood along with about 40 volunteers uh, from the neighborhood. And it was a day in which you saw lots of different ethnicities. We needed a translator for the DJ, um, lots of music and dancing and games, kids of um, different ethnicities, lots of families, uh, people of um, different classes. It was a beautiful day. And for me, it illustrated how the church needs to focus, I mean, really focus, and I need a stronger word than focus, I mean, give itself to outreach and pouring out its resources into the neighborhood. It's so tempting in these times for us to get into survival mode, mm -hmm. to think about our budget, our property, our making it through another year, our future. And we must remember the words of Jesus who said those who seek to save their lives will mm -hmm. lose it. And those who will give their lives for my sake and for the gospel will find them. And as we, you know, just gave this ministry away, everything was free. All the food was donated. There was, you know, popcorn and hot dogs and hamburgers and snow cones and um, cotton candy and lots of other candy. Everything was free. Uh, we paid for this fantastic DJ. It was, it was a blessing for us to bless the community, especially for those kids who are um, whose families that we know are living in their cars right now. Mm -hmm. um, it was a great joy, and some of them came to worship on Sunday. Um, two folks have requested baptism. Again, it illustrates that in this season, and I think this is true not just for us, but for the church in general, it has to be about your local community. It has to be about the neighborhood. If you are not outward focused into your neighborhood, seeking to make disciples, seeking to serve and to bless your neighbors, then what are, your, what are you doing? Because what's very clear, as I listen to young adults who have left the church, they're saying, listen, we've left the church because, number one, we think the church is way too political in these times. Number two, we think the church is not a place where we can come with our deep, genuine questions about mm -hmm. God and faith and life and how to live. We, we feel like we can't ask those very real questions. And three, we sense that the church is about the church, that the church exists yeah. for itself. 
And so one of the things I'm saying to the Derrida Church family over and over again is that we've got to change that narrative. As a matter of fact, is that we have an opportunity in this season to change that narrative. And it is, um, so far, we're doing okay. We're walking that out. And it's mm-hmm. and old habits die hard, right? It's we, we just opened our doors and people came in and so... Of course, some people get worried about, well, what if this gets spilt on the carpet? What if that gets broken? It's like, really? That's nothing compared with the joy of ministering to our community. Well, and I think, I mean, it's just, it, the problem is when the center of the church is the church, then it's lost its point, right? And so I think what we, when walking by faith and not by sight you know, I think, well, for me, you start out as a pastor and you're like, great, or, or as a believer, you're like, great, I read the gospel, I understand, I know what Jesus is for in the world. Jesus isn't here right now, so I'm going to go out and be for those things in the world, for Jesus, until Jesus comes back, right? And I'm going to use what I have to be for Jesus in the world. And so, and and so... That's what we sort of start out understanding like, oh, I'm going to do things for Jesus as I see them. And then I think you, um, the spirit leads us deeper into a sense of like, oh, what if, what if the things that I think Jesus is for or the way that I think Jesus wants me to go about things is not actually, um, the way that Jesus or how the how or the or the way that Jesus would I mean I think some of us actually literally have to unlearn and relearn what Jesus is for but even say we don't and I think we all do but say we don't then I still think we all have this point where we realize like oh Jesus hasn't left me in charge right so I need to understand that the the how and the way that I would go before Jesus in the world might need to shift. And that's what walking by faith means. Like, oh, I might need to do this differently than my um, opinions or preferences or strategy would lead me to. But I think then there's a there's an even farther um, place where the Lord leads us, which is to say like, hey, when we're walking by faith and not by sight, then what we know is we are, already know the end of the story. Like we know the end of the story and, and many Christians don't, right? Like many Christians really sincerely believe the end of the story is Israel launches a bloody war in the Middle East that leads to World War III and nuclear Armageddon and everything gets destroyed and the goodest goody good people get zipped up to heaven and everyone else gets destroyed. And now that evil is destroyed, God, um, you know, is, is chilling with us up in heaven. Like that, that is legitimately what many Christians have been convinced is the second act of the gospel. And I think what we learn when we turn to scripture, um, and the spirit is that, no, we have learned through, um, the voices of the prophets and, um, Jesus's teaching and the vision of revelation, not how the pop culture tells us, but, but the actual vision of revelation and the ongoing presence of Jesus, we know what the end of the story is. And the end of the story is redemption. The end of the story is 
return and repair to shalom. The end of the story is a reconciliation. And so then we move to this deepest level of walking by faith, which is saying, I'm not doing things like a proxy Jesus. I'm also not doing things for Jesus in the world, but like willing to experiment with a way. I am, I am as an individual and as a community, we are, we are living and engaging creation according to the way of Jesus. Um, so, so living as if the kingdom of God were already fully realized here on earth, which it is not yet, but will be, but is in our midst, like in the midst of us, the kingdom of God is here. And so we walk out into the world looking for like, who's my enemy? How can I bless them? Who am I estranged from? How can I reconcile with them? Who Who is a stranger and a neighbor and how can I serve them? And and saying, I, I'm not responsible for doing what I can't do for Jesus, but I am invited to do what I can for, for the kingdom, in the kingdom, confident that the kingdom is coming with or without my participation, right? Like it is not up to me. So nothing is at stake, but I know the end of the story and I can go into the world in joyful participation and anticipation of that. And so I'm no longer thinking about like, well, what's, what's going to work or what might this cost me or what the risk will be? Because the reality is we know that, that all things will pass away because all things are being made new. And so we're not trying to hold on. We're trying to let go and dive deeper into the overwhelming flood of grace. And so, you know, I think to say, you know, the things we do, the question is, you know, do these manifest the kingdom of God, even if on a pragmatic level, you might look at them and say, well, they're not fixing a problem. Um, and isn't that our job to fix problems for Jesus? I mean, I don't think so anymore. I think it's our job to tell the truth. I think it's our job to care for people. I think it's our job to stand with the oppressed um, and to risk things for justice. Um, but I don't think it's our job to be efficient and productive and in control and in power and invulnerable in the way that the world says, hey, if you really want to get stuff done, this is this is how you need to go about it. If you really want to be a power player, like that's not our lane anymore. Like we were just talking before we started recording about how you've been invited. Can I tell the story? I'm not quite sure which story you're going to tell. <laughs> the Union County story. Oh, sure. Like, so Yolando is being recruited by the Democratic Party to run for office in Union County. And we were just talking about well, like... Let, let's wait. First of all, I'm no one. And it's it's a random... Well, I say it's random. It's random. Well, it's a text that says, hey, if you're interested, we would like to support you. All right. And all I'm saying is like, I think if you are in a political party and you see a potentially great candidate and your job is to be in politics, then you want to recruit that candidate. And so that's great. Like kudos to them. You would be a great political candidate, except that as we were talking about beforehand, we actually don't believe that the kingdom of God is being realized through Correct. the political system. Correct. So it's not that I wouldn't participate in it as a voter, but I'm just saying like, that's not 
That's, that's not, not my I, lane. That's not. I'm not trying to. It's not where my hope lies. It's not where my hope. It's not where I've been called to serve. And so I think to say like, but to many Christians, obviously, the political realm seems like the only reasonable place to serve Jesus. And do you know, just sort of stand against that and say, no, you need to understand that's how the world does power. That's where the world's hope lies. But at the center of the church is not ministry. It's not mission. It's not programs. It's not pastors. The center of the church is Jesus. And, and I mean, foolishly, ridiculously, foolishly, like that's, our only source of, of hope and vision. And so to gather, you know, throw open the doors of the church and gather in the neighborhood with music and food and dancing in defiance of, of all the things that would defy, divide, and, you know, say, well, there's no cause for rejoicing here. Like that's, that's glory, glorifying God. And allow me to add, you know, understand to write a church less than 50 people, not a lot of money, to do this, to hold this fall festival to some might seem like a waste. But our mission statement says that we exist to joyfully share the hope of Jesus. And the two words that stand out are joy and hope. Right, right, right. No, I think that's really beautiful. I'm really excited with you. So what's astonishing you? Okay, so... What's astonishing me is I'm an idiot and I'm going to share this story. What? No, I'm going to share. I shared this story with you on oh, our. This is a fantastic story. And I'm just in a weird. Everyone a sit weird back. If you have a cup of coffee, <laughs> just take a sip right now and enjoy this story. Um, so what's astonishing to me is just like how strange it is inside my head. So I'm, I was said to to everyone last week that this is just like a, a challenging season for me and that is okay. And, um, I I will say like what I'm learning about myself is words of affirmation are just a hundred percent my jam. Like I am just really, they're like my crack cocaine. Um, so I have an unhealthy addiction to being praised and affirmed. Um, and so, and it's been a, like a, a challenging season, right? And so I, there's, a, um, there's a, a friend who was a, a part of our community at the Grove for a while um, and has since moved. And um, in these difficult days, recently, twice, this um, friend has posted links to Grove sermons and shared just really um, affirming words about how um, this friend experienced them as prophetic words and like encouraging other people to listen to them. And like, I try to play it cool. um, But like, that's just really, it's, that's deeply encouraging to me. Like it, it means a lot to me. And I, and again, I just know that I need to like, just be be mindful of how good that feels to me because if you as a preacher or a pastor become too addicted to affirmation from people then it's really hard to be faithful when sometimes you need to do things that people don't like and don't understand and won't praise you for and sometimes 
as a leader, you need to do things that people won't like and won't praise you for. Not to be a jerk, but just because otherwise, you know, communities need leaders. And the reason they need leaders is because sometimes the thing that feels good or feels safe just isn't isn't the right the best, healthiest move, right? So as a leader, it's great to love words of affirmation. And it's also just good to be mindful of how much you love words of affirmation because it can make you um, less faithful. So anyway, but so this person who's a friend who I really admire had, had, had praised these two sermons online publicly, felt really great. Um, and then I um, also at the same time, um, this friend is, is actually on a, on a, long a long trip um like seeing the seeing the country so and has been posting along with links to sermons of the grove like just these beautiful pictures of vistas of things that they're seeing um and and so I came home last week and I I got a postcard (laughs) at my home (laughs) from this friend and and I'm like oh gosh like they publicly made words of affirmation about my preaching when that was so encouraging. It felt so good. And like, now they've sent me a postcard to say how much they've enjoyed my, and so I, I, (laughs) so I flip it over and it's Pastor Kate, the beauty and raw power on display here is a welcome reminder of the omnipotent goodness of God. And I'm like, wow, no one has ever like, Wow, like what an impact. Like that makes me feel so good Describe about your preaching I mean, as beauty it was and like, raw. Oh my power. gosh. Oh my gosh. And then the second sentence is seeing this was good for the soul. And I'm like, huh. And I flip it over and it is a picture of a canyon in a national park. And I'm like, I have a problem that someone writes me a postcard about a beautiful like phenomenal like seven wonders of the world picture of na- <laughs> nature and I look at it and I'm like this must be about me it's gotta be about and this me. sermon that I wrote so I was like okay I maybe need to reevaluate my uh connection with uh words of affirmation and praise but I did think that it's just hysterical that um I assumed that that was so I am forever going to tease you now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I this need is, it. I I need it. I so need it. we 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 are going to change the words, the ending of the Lord's Prayer, instead of "For Thine be the kingdom and the power <laughs> and the glory forever." It's mine is the beauty and the raw power. power. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous, and I can just. I mean, obviously, I'm laughing about it. I am happy to share about it. But I do, like, we have talked about it before, too, about what a weird calling this, not just not just the pastoral life, but particularly the preaching life is, mm-hmm. because it is both not at all about you, like, it is just not about you, and also it is so embodied and personal and it's just such a weird thing. Like there's nothing that feels better than being used by the Holy Spirit, co-creating with the Holy Spirit, a word that like pierces through and reveals the beauty. Like, because the gospel is beauty and raw power that testifies to the omnipotence goodness of God. That is exactly our colleague, Albert Moses, defines preaching as God's 
God's truth through personality. So it's not about you, but because, again, you are, you are embodied with a particular personality and a particular set of gifts, it comes through you in a particular way that's different than the way it comes through me. Well, and I just think there's nothing that feels better than, than preaching a sermon that like helps people to receive or recover their awe and strength and hope and joy in Jesus, right? There's nothing that feels better than that. And there's nothing that feels worse than missing it. And there's a lot of room between those of like, oh, that wasn't so boring or oh, that was interesting or, oh, I learned something new. But, you know, it is just this weird thing that you do want to fade away and yet you do want to get it right, right? And that's just that that double tension. Like I don't, um, so anyway, but I, I just, it was a lot of, um, it was a head smacking moment for I've me. Been online, I was astonished at my I've ego. Been, <laughs> I've been online looking at uh, places where I might um, get certification as a spiritual director. That's something I've thought about for a long time. I've had a spiritual director. And um, for those of you who, you know, may not be familiar with that work. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not, um, it's not like therapy. It's specifically focused on what God is doing in your life. Uh, but you see a person like you would see a therapist. And so I've been uh, searching for places to get that certification. And by the way, it's really expensive. I don't know why theological schools and training programs are so incredibly expensive. I'm sorry. Pause. I'm sorry. You don't know why? Well, you know, I know exactly why. I just why. don't like it. Yeah. So, um, but I've been thinking about that. But I, one of the things I do know is that one of the primary questions a spiritual director asks is, so how, how is God in this? How is God showing? And, and so with this story, I'm, I'm, I'm I know. asking myself, so how is God in this? Because we have these, these and, and beyond the preaching life, I think this is true for all of us. We have these moments when God, by his spirit, holds up a mirror. Yeah. And we get to see ourselves, right? And... Mm -hmm. um, and we can do several things with that. We can uh, totally be in denial. Right. <laughs> That's not right. me. I don't. Right. We can get angry about it. We can. Um, I mean, I like what you've done. Let's laugh about it because I I see some truth in this. Right, right, right. And so, um, uh, you know, I well, don't know if I would have shared that story, but good for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing that I see in it because I do think it was a moment of just awareness it, it's just sort of where I started with the story which is like you if you I don't think are I don't think you can be a healthy pastor if you don't genuinely love and want to be loved by the community that you shepherd right like if you don't if you don't like and love and honor and respect not just the work, but the particular community of people 
who you have been called to serve, then you can't do it well. So you can't be indifferent to how people experience you or see you. Sure. So you you it, it's a good thing to want to know that the people in your community are being well served by you. Um, and also, <laughs> I mean, like everything, it has to be, you know, it has to be thoughtfully, you have to just be aware that sometimes, uh, I mean, churches are not children, but, but you can learn something about pastoring from the parent parenting responsibility of like, sometimes you're in a particular role and you have to be able to say like, well, like I care deeply about you and I, I could please you in this moment, but I actually know that fidelity to you requires me to like put, to, to risk the relationship, to not please you. And, and, you know, just living in that space where you can, you're committed to loving people regardless and, and to say like, my, my love for you does not, is not transactional and it's not reciprocal it really comes from the source of Jesus loving me. And I can um, take responsibility for orienting myself in practices of being with the Lord and praying so that I can appreciate and enjoy and be encouraged by words of affirmation, but not need them, it, you know, to the extent that, you know, sometimes you you would misread a postcard about the Grand Canyon <laughs> to think that it's about yes. a sermon that you preach. And your story also highlights something about the life of discipleship for all of us, mm -hmm. right? Um, the scripture says that we are being transformed from glory to glory, that God really is changing, shaping, growing, maturing us. And sometimes we limit that spiritual growth to sitting in a Bible study, listening to someone right. teach. And we forget that God gives us these moments um, where uh, it's clear that God is showing us, revealing to us, working on something in our personality and say, hey, take a look at this. And if you can laugh about it along the way, I think that is fantastic. Yeah, well, I'll be laughing about that for a long time. And, <laughs> and it gives, you know, your as friends something I was thinking, to tease you about. As I read this, I'm like, oh, what a gift. this is going to make Yolanda so happy. Do you? This is, um, so yes. You, you have a, no idea. I, I have no, a little you, bit you of an really idea. you really have yes. no idea. <laughs> All right, so what are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? Well, after worship this past Sunday, one of our elders uh, in the church um, grabbed me and said, I've got to tell you this story. So yeah, she said, last night, I, I know I heard something at our door. I, I heard something. She said, and I, I poked my husband and tried to get him to get up to check it out. And he just moaned and rolled over. And she says, finally, after trying to go back to sleep, I had to get up and check it out. She said, um, I got up, it was the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., I grabbed my phone, I walked toward the front door, I know, I heard something. And she said, and I remembered, um, that we have one of those ring um, mm -hmm. doorbells with the camera, so I decided to check my ring camera 
on my phone to see if I th there was anything there to see, if the camera caught anything. And so she opened up the app and she said, you know, she was scared out of her mind. She said, I saw this figure. And she said, I, I don't, she said, pastor. And she said it twice. She said, I, I don't believe in ghosts. The Holy Ghost, yeah, yeah. but all right. I saw this figure and it moved in this otherworldly fashion. And I, I had no idea what it was. Was it an alien? And, and I thought, okay, this is the devil. It, this is, and she said, I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. And she said, it just moved in an, an odd and mysterious way. And, um, and then she, you know, of course, you know, every, you can imagine every hair on the back of her neck is standing up and um, she was on the edge of panic. And then she took a closer look at her phone and realized that it was a snail <laughs> crawling over the <laughs> ring camera. <laughs> so after we laughed, um, I've been thinking about that. Like sometimes I'm just way too close to something. And I just don't understand. It makes me anxious. Yeah. I'm not seeing it from the right perspective. And I'm just sitting with that story. Like we are, we're struggling uh, at Dariah Church with um, things like um, our, our church budget, the number of people who have left. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think we, we have these things in our lives, not just in the church, but in, in our lives where we're, it's just so close and it's so strange and, and mysterious to us that it just frightens us. But if we take a moment and kind of pull back, we can see that it's, it's not nearly as threatening as we thought. Well, and I think that's, you know, the whole point of having a right understanding of, like, John's revelation and the gospel is, is we have the wider perspective through which to be able to see both our own triumphs and tragedies, our struggles and our, you know, and our blessings to in the, in the, in the right context of the bigger story um, that God has really finished writing in Jesus. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's really important to be able to say to people like again and again, you know, that's what Paul, I mean, that's what Jesus is always saying is like, you don't understand now, but you will. And that's what Paul is always saying. Like, this is like, yes, I'm going through something right now, but I'm actually, I'm okay because I understand that what appears to be, you know, insurmountable or what appears to be shame or what appears to be um, destructive is actually, is actually for my good. And, and um, that's not about passive resignation to the world it's actually about having such an active and triumphant hope that you are not discouraged and that you can I mean this Paul say like continue to stand on these on these truths and in these values even when um you know the the close-up testimony of the world around you would say it's time to abandon these because it's fine to go into a church and sing about them for an hour if it makes you feel better emotionally. But when you're out in the quote real world, 
you need to make pragmatic, practical decisions. And having the wider view of eternity is to say, like, no, these spiritual values are actually the most pragmatic decisions that I can make. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I love that as an image. Yeah. and you know, Except what thinking, woke her up? The snail didn't wake her up. I was going to say, I don't know if it was a notification on the phone, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, something. Really yeah. Um, but yeah I, the, the more I've, I've thought about that story, I think, oh, yeah, um, the, the scripture comes to mind, be still and know that I am God, or um, the place where Israel is caught between Pharaoh's army and the sea, and God said to Moses, tell the people to be still and watch yeah. like sometimes we just have to get quiet enough still enough to see what's really happening mm -hmm. yeah no that's a great story so what are you thinking about uh i am thinking a lot of, about um so i have a good friend um named adrian and she and her husband emmanuel uh they are the co-founders and um, leaders of an organization called Hope Vibes, which is um, a nonprofit that's new, um, that they serve folks experiencing homelessness. Um, it started because Adrian, who's just a great woman of faith, um, was was reading a story and learning that one of the biggest challenges for women and girls experiencing homelessness is um, once a month when they get their periods because they just don't have access to sanitary supplies or bathrooms. I mean, and, and this has been a big thing in Charlotte lately is, you know, people living in uh, our uptown area. I don't know if you talked about this in the podcast or not, but um, there's just a lot of public urination and defecation in in densely populated uptown areas and, and residents understandably are not happy about that. Um, and like, you know, criminal penalties have been suspended for those. And now neighbors, um, who have housing are some are going to city council and asking that those penalties be reinstated. Um, and they're saying like, we don't want the police to take people to jail, but we want the police to be able to say, move on or I'll take you to jail. I, anyway, I think it is another example of how we, we, we set the police up for failure because every problem that exists in our communities, we want the police to handle it. And the only tools that we give the police to handle it with are violence and incarceration. And anyway, so, um, it's a, it's a long running problem for people experiencing homelessness, not just that you don't have a home, but you just don't have anywhere to perform biological functions with dignity and privacy. And so it started out, Adrian had heard about this and she just started collecting, um, period supplies for women and bringing them to it and, and just had this vision that the Lord was leading her to make, um, a ministry nonprofit called hope vibes and really just about, um, hope being not just like, oh, it's, it's okay. Or, you know, you'll get through this somehow, but that, that this is a, a tangible manifestation of the trustworthiness of hoping in God and that God's church 
would be part of that, right? And so anyway, she just started doing it. And then she and her husband, Manny, had a vision um, for just expanding um, the kinds of support that are for folks experiencing homelessness who are not in shelters, because a lot of folks who don't have a home, they're not in shelters, they're in tent encampments, or they're living in their cars, Um, especially if you have children, because you don't want to be separated from your children. Um, And so uh, they um, dreamed and hoped, and um, they then uh, purchased a like a a semi truck and um and got funding to have it completely transformed so that inside of it there are um there are washers and dryers and then two full bathrooms and then the thing that's cool about it is you know their their um, vision is that you know the hope of the lord is is beautiful and it's relevant and it's Um, So, I mean, they just got these really great like designers to come in and make it so that it's not just like, oh, you take a shower in a, you know, fiberglass stall in a, in a tub. I mean, like that it's, it's very well, it's beautiful and um, just as like an evocative design. And it's just a lot because it's about saying like, if people have hope in the Lord, the Lord doesn't see people as like problems to be solved, but as, you know, a piece of the divine image and so there was it isn't just like hey can we get these folks a shower it's hey can we um create an experience for folks who are being dehumanized by the experience of homelessness so that they you know in in this encounter are are um experience just the the reverence of of people around them and like the the value of their lives and so um so anyway, it's it's really cool. And then there are churches that go out with them on the weekends and throughout the week to like park this, um, this um, hope, it's called the hope tank. And folks come and volunteers like, you know, clean the bathroom in between each use and people come and they have resources and they can wash their clothes and have, you know, just whatever. I mean, people feel better after they get a shower. And um so they, they've been doing this, it's been growing, and they have a, um, you know, a third phase vision for um, what they call hope studs. And so some tiny houses that could be around um, the city to, you know, help folks transition. I mean, it's just a, it's a big, beautiful vision of hope that um, Adrian and Manny weren't seeking, but they were obedient to, and then the Lord has been obedient to them. Um, and they've gotten a lot of support in um, Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. And then, um, so transitioned out of their other jobs to doing this full time and, you know, not getting, you know, wealthy in any way, right? Like really, you know, we, we're talking about like, you know, risking homelessness to serve folks who are experiencing homelessness. And, and then they, uh, you know, had a great blessing. They had triplets, um, last November. Um, and then since then, you know, they've had three newborns, so no one can afford childcare for three newborns. Um, and then they've had a series of health challenges. Like one of the triplets had emergency surgery. Adrian had emergency surgery. Manny had emergency surgery. And so they just, um, you know, caring for their family, recovering, doing the work of serving the folks who they were called by God to serve 
Like that's been all that they can manage. And what they haven't been able to do is the never ending work of fundraising that nonprofits have to do. Like if you're a nonprofit, you have to do the thing that you are in the world to exist to do, but you also have to constantly Mm -hmm. seek out grants. And every time you write a grant, it's like going into a store, paying $500 and then seeing whether or not you were able to purchase anything. And so, you know, they just, you know, because their staff is like them and one part-time assistant, like they just haven't been able to do that. And so they, this past week, um, actually just yesterday had to, um, you know, go to their community and their board and just say like, we have to press pause on all of our operations because we have to just like write a bunch of grants and see if we can get enough money to keep going. Like they have to make a repair to the chassis of the hope, hope chassis. Is that how you say that? I don't know what that is, but there's just something in the actual hope tank that needs to be repaired. It's just a whole thing. And, and I've just been thinking like, I know um, so many folks and, and churches are not in this, but they're kind of in this that, you know, you, you're called to do something in the world. And, and then the, the culture's answer is like, okay, well, if you have a really good idea, you can you can get a grant for that. And so then if you, we have all these, these people doing like really vital, necessary, you know, filling in gaps and changing the narrative for so many people in our community, but we don't, we don't fund them. And so, and they don't have, you know, so they just have to like, you, you have funding for like a year at a time and you never know. And, and you can't really make decisions based on what is best for the people that you're serving. You have to make decisions based on like, well, what can I actually get funders to agree to let me do? And so you just live in this constant cycle of precariousness. And I know people would say like, well, businesses have to do that too. I mean, I guess it's just that businesses have a profit-making stream and many nonprofits, obviously, courtesy of the name, just don't. And and it's it's really interesting because, and actually Manny and, and Adrian are really on top of this because what's happening in the nonprofit world is that people are really recognizing like, hey, this whole system just doesn't work. It's just not sustainable because you can't both do the work and constantly fundraise to do the work and and it's really hard to be a visionary leader if you actually aren't the leader like the leader is these legacy philanthropies that have the money and who are always looking for something new and don't want to ever pay for overhead and don't and um so you know so many nonprofits are saying like we have to have we have to move to the goodwill model of like having an income stream that is in harmony with our mission but that we can that we can count on so that we're not always at the ever fluctuating mercy of these grant cycles. So, I mean, I guess that's just what I'm thinking about is just like how um, Adrian and Manny are just like so, so faithful and so brave and have risked everything um, to walk out um, their the vision that the Lord laid on them and they're, and they're playing this crucial role in our city, like now more than ever and, um, and, and I, and how they are just walking this season out with such great, just humility and faith and that like, sometimes like it's hard, it's really, really hard. And that is not a sign that you're doing it wrong. It is a sign that the values of the kingdom of God are just in opposition to the dominant values in our culture. And so, 
um, I, you know, I just, they're on my heart and I really am, am praying and hoping that, um, you know, that the Lord will continue to, um, provide for them. And also just, I mean, really that should be my astonishment at just like how, like, they're not, they're not bitter. They're not complaining. They're just like, this is, this is a really hard season and we just have to trust and we just have to keep walking by faith. And at the end of the day, like we have eternal guarantees, but we don't have temporal guarantees. We just don't. And so sometimes you, you do something beautiful and faithful and, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't manifest in the way that it should. Um, and you have to just keep going through those times and, um, when, when it doesn't, when it doesn't make sense. And so I don't know, um, if, uh, they have, um, an amazing, um, merchandise store that they set up to support the nonprofit. So if anybody wants a really cool t-shirt or hat, it's hope vibes. Um, and if anybody knows of any great nonprofit, um, grant writing, uh, organizations or opportunities. Um, I just, I'm just thinking about just how, how I want to, how we want to like nourish and nurture the people who are, are going first and are being brave and are not, you know, are not waiting for the culture to give them permission to do something, but are just stepping out in faith and, and how much I just kind of want to rise up and call them blessed for, for doing it because, um, because I just think that is what the life of faith looks like. Um, and you just, all you can control is I'm going to keep going until I can't keep going anymore. But also know that um, hard, hard seasons, periods of failure and loss are part of, you know, part, part of life. And the world will lie to us about that, but Jesus won't. So anyway. I know it's a totally different situation, but it reminds me of many churches right now in the season that have um, dramatically reduced budgets and um, fewer people. And the temptation is to make fundraising the mission. Correct. It's to take all of the energy or the lion's share of the energy that you would put into doing the thing you've been called to do right. to raise money <laughs> to do the thing you've been called to do. Right. And that seems to me to be a losing battle. And I think they are wise to be thinking about another model. I think it is a sign of their maturity that um, they're not complaining, angry, shaking their fists at the world because of the situation. I, I think that's it's a valuable lesson for the church because I think in this season, post-pandemic, the church in America uh, has been humbled. And I do hear many Christians complaining, like we're so accustomed to be in a place of privilege, to be in a, mm -hmm. um, um, to have a level of honor and respect and power and, and agency. Yes, in our society, and when that's taken away, and 
what you have to do, what we have to do is to rely upon Jesus, listen for his voice, what exactly are you telling us to do, and to walk by faith. Now, that sounds like that's, <laughs> that should be normal for us, but we are relearning that very thing in this season. Right. I mean, and I think, like, to, I just want to be clear, like, they're, they have already had the model of, like, doing the work and having the mm. passive income source to fund the work and seeking grants. So they're not, they're not shifting in this season. They are acknowledging the reality of where they are and then continuing to walk through this and just saying, like, at the center of Hope Vibes is Jesus. And so they're saying, like, Lord, if this is the season that you've put in front of us, then this is the season we're going to walk through and we're going to walk through trusting in your goodness, even when it's very difficult to see and, you know, knowing that there's, um, I mean, not to, not to, there's a testimony in this and there will be a testimony in this. And it's just so hard. Um, it's just so hard. And I think sometimes we, we turn away from our call because it comes to a place where it's just so difficult and, and it doesn't look shiny and successful in the eyes of the world. And so we think, well, the Lord couldn't be calling me to do this. Like, you know, and just to be able to say like, no, if there's one thing that the gospel shows us clearly is that there are seasons where it's, it's going to feel like losing your life. And that's really how you gain your life. One of the strangest, not strange, but one of the, one of the passages in the new Testament that really just doesn't sit well with me. Um, like I am the judge of the word, but it, it, it just, it makes me nervous when the Lord says about Paul, this is after the Damascus road, he is yet to have his eyes healed. And I think God is saying this to Ananias, the man who is going to um, lay his hands on, on Paul. I think Jesus says, I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my name. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay. I was feeling this call until you said, Oh, I got, I got to suffer. I mean, because listen, I don't know about you, but when I went to seminary, yeah, I mean, people just said, Hey, you're going to have a great ministry and it's going to be this and that, and this wonderful thing. And people are going to love you and the doors are going to open. Yeah. And, right. It's going to, you're so great, and there's a clergy shortage, and you're going to be, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who isn't going to love you and want you, right. and um, how, how could a door ever close in your face, and who could ever reject you? And Yeah. Well, and, and I think... not the reality. And I think what's, what's hard is we've backed away from some of those verses, both, I mean, to the extent, and it's terrible, but to the extent that the church has a right side and a left side, which it shouldn't, but it does, because the church fights the culture wars, too, so... You know, the right side of the church has backed away from this suffering talk because because it is enamored with the prosperity, prosperity gospel, gospel and Christian nationalism and just this idea that, like, if you're on Jesus' side and Jesus is triumphant, then there's no suffering for you. You can cause suffering, but you will never feel suffering. And And the left side of the church, again, which shouldn't exist, has backed away from the suffering talk because... They've seen the ways that throughout history it's been co-opted by 
powers and principalities that are passing away to just say like, oh, are you being abused by your husband? Well, that's just, you got to suffer for, or like, are you enslaved? Well, you just have to suffer. That's your lot to suffer. And so I think to be able to say like, no, there, we are called not to suffer for the sake of suffering, but to suffer for something worth suffering for, which is the gospel and the triumph of the wounded resurrected savior, right? So do I, are we called, I think, you know, in a lot of um, just human institutions, there's a sense of like, oh, if you're called to teach, you know, you're just, you have a calling, so you should suffer to, you know, you should suffer to be a daycare worker. You should, you know, whatever you do these things, it's a calling. Like we're not called to suffer to continue to prop up the fallen institutions of this world, but we are called to be willing to say, you know, what does it mean to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? In, in part, it means I'm willing to go to the places that the world says, if you don't stop telling this truth, we're going to destroy you. And we're saying like, but even if I, I'm still, I, I still know who my Lord is. And so I think to be able to say, yeah, like I'm not willing to, to, you know, destroy my health and alienate myself from my children so that you know, some corporation can have record profits. Um, but I am willing to risk what is most precious to me for the sake of the abundant life of my neighbor or, or to have reconciliation with my enemies. I'm willing to be alienated from the people on quote my side in order to, um, seek out and, honor and behold and commune with the humanity of, you know, the folks on the quote other side. So I like that there's suffering in walking out the gospel and, and to be able to have a maturity that says, no, there is a kind of like, you know, obviously the King quote comes to mind, like, what is it? Unearned suffering is redemptive. Yes. Um, And I think, I think I know what he meant, but I think, you know, even that has been co-opted and like, well, if you're born poor, you just, you didn't deserve it, but God will meet you in your poverty and you'll suffer and it'll be fine. I, I think we are called to be salt and light in ways that turns the world upside down. Um, and there's suffering that comes uh, along with that, but it's not suffering that cements the status quo. It's suffering that challenges the status quo. And it's a suffering that you could say no to Correct. it's a it's a suffering that you say no i i must go in in this direction because it is right it is well, it's a suffering we choose yes. right it's not imposed on us not not by the world and not by god like god does not did not require jesus to go to the cross and god does not require us to do anything that feels beyond our capacity to do so we um you know but but if we have a vision of the goodness of God and a trust that like, God, I really do believe that you are a redeemer of all things. And so, you know, well, I mean, we were talking about this later on in the week about, you know, that to me is the meaning of the Philippians 4.13 is that Paul is saying, I'm here in prison and like, it's been grim and I, and I haven't had what I needed. And yet, even when I haven't had what I've needed, I've had everything I've needed because God has given me strength to handle all of this. And this is where I choose to be. This is where proclaiming the gospel has led me. And so this is where I choose to be. Um, because to be anywhere else would be 
forsaking the gospel. And I don't want to do this. Like God is not a puppet master pulling my strings. God is not a transactional God saying, do this or I won't love you anymore. God is saying like, this is actually the narrow way that leads to life. And this part is hard, but hold on because it's worth it. So anyway, that's, we're out of time. Are we out of time? We're out of time. You got to go pick up your kid. It's almost one o'clock. Um, do you want to tell people? You don't even know what you're preaching about. I don't know, but I'm thinking, you know, we were talking um, on the run, and you mentioned Revelation 21. It's All Saints Sunday, and I'm going to think about that. New heaven, new earth. Um, I have this thing in my head. You know how people, some people play Desert Island with books and uh, music? Yeah. Like if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only have, you know, five books what books or five movies, what movies would you choose? Well, I play this <laughs> this little game in my head. If I were on a desert island and I could only have, you know, seven, seven or eight chapters of the Bible. <laughs> what, I know, it's weird. It's weird. I'm an introvert. We do, we have weird conversations. That's okay. You're just having Thank an you. honest discussion Listen, of your canon within the I'm, canon. I'm, just be open to the introvert sharing here. Um, so what what chapters would those be? And of course... Genesis 1, uh, John 1, Resurrection. But one of the chapters I always choose is Revelation 21. I know. New heaven and new earth. I know this about you. You've led me to that path many times, and so I'm happy to it is. Uh, lead you back that way. But, um, well, it came up, I'll just say this in closing, because we are um, gathering around How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby at The Grove during second hour, which is what I really picked it because you said that that was the thing you wanted to do at Derrida mm -hmm. and um, been sort of co-facilitating it with, with two other folks, one of whom is um, Cedric Lundy, um, who has um, a, a really great uh, podcast with a friend of his called um, Token Confessions. Um, but he, he is just um, has a lot of learned, earned, and lived experience in um in this the world of anti-racism and reconciliation and racial healing and um and he was talking around this last week when we were uh, we were reading chapter six together about the necessity of um friendships in general and cross-cultural friendships in particular and he was um he had called out revelation 21 as just sort of the the scripture scriptural vision that leads people in the church to do, to have a vision for why the discomfort and the awkwardness and the hard work of, of creating and sustaining those relationships is worth it because we see the vision of not God, the end of the, the, end of the story isn't God destroying the world. The end of the story is God making the world new and removing the barrier between heaven and earth and and that at that point we will be reconciled to one another and so because that's ultimate and internal truth it's already true and we can choose to step into it or not um and the lies will seem more real but they're lies and 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 we walk in in the truth like that truth which is hard at first, um, 
but it sets us free. So anyway, I just, I just wanted to honor that that's where normally you're the one who convinces me to preach on Revelation 21, but this time. I think it may just be, you know, one of those things that comes to us from our enslaved ancestors, because I'm, I'm astonished that when I read um, slave narratives or anything about um, uh, the theology of those Africans who were enslaved, it reminds me that one does not need a theological degree to right. understand the most important things about Scripture. Right. So they read Exodus, <laughs> Moses saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. We, oh, we got that, right? Right. And, and if you just look at some of these major chapters throughout Scripture, like Genesis chapter 1, like um, Exodus, uh, Israel at the Red Sea, uh, and Revelation 21, it's clear God's purposes in the world just become clear. Well, and I think, you know, a theological education, which I'm, I'm grateful to have had, sure. and I'm, and there are so many ways that it unlocks meaning and liberation in the text. And also <laughs> there are ways where whole institutions and thought institutions have grown up to try to have a sophisticated set of external propositions that teach people to read the scripture as if it doesn't say what it plainly says. Right. So it's just a, like anything else, it's a, it's a both and, but I, I do think that that's really important for anybody, uh, anybody who follows Jesus and particularly every pastor and preacher to understand, which is like a theological degree is a tool, but it's not, um, it's not a barrier. And to access. So anyway, um, well, now we should really stop. Uh, well, thank y'all for listening to us this week. And if you would like to find out more about what God is doing at God's church at Derrida, mm -hmm. it is uh, org. And if you want to find what? Dot com. com. Dot com. Sorry. And if you want to find out more, dot com, everyone, deridachurch.com. And if you want to find out more uh, about Yolanda's messages, which I really recommend, they have the uh, beauty and raw power that will remind you of the omnipotent goodness of God. True. True. That's a true statement. Uh, you can go to the Derida uh, YouTube channel or uh, podcast on the Podbean website. And if you would like to find out more about what God is doing at The Grove, you can go to the website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org, or check out the YouTube channel or podcast or the live stream, which is on Facebook. Uh, look for The Grove Tree. It's a green tree. Um, so there's lots of groves out there. Or you can worship with us at 10 o'clock on Sunday. You can worship with Derida at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Correct. And if you want to check out, um, this is our non-sponsored content. If you want to check out Hope Vibes, um, that's at hopevibes.com. Um, just read about their work, pray for them. Um, that would be a great, great gift to them and to you. So thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week.